You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with host Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you. Welcome to the Choose to Be podcast. I am Amy and I am here with Alana and we are excited to be with you today talking about trust. So this topic comes up a lot, a lot in our groups, a lot in our one-on-ones, hot, hot topic here. And of course we can take this so many different directions. We're going to try and focus on a couple of things here today, but what we'd like to start off addressing is how many women, when we experience betrayal trauma, feel like we have lost trust. I hear that, that statement a lot. I've lost trust. And I got to thinking about that. And of course, applying that to my own and thinking about my own journey and experience with trust. And it hit me one day, I didn't lose trust, but someone in my life abused that trust. So where I'm coming from, and if you have not listened to Brene Brown's elements of trust, what does she say, Alana? What's that actually? of trust, anatomy of trust. I always call it elements of trust, but I Google her. And when I heard her anatomy of trust, it was a game changer for me. So I highly recommend you check that out. I go over this with almost all of my clients when we're talking about trust game changer. I use it for my teenagers, by the way, like, oh my gosh, trust is such a big word. And if we break it down to all of these different elements, it really helps us to identify what exactly is missing in our ability to trust someone else when we're trying to rebuild a trusting relationship. But first, I just want to point out that for those of you who have been applying those different elements of trust in your life, I compare it to a ladder, this ladder of trust. And when you get married, you're both at the bottom of this ladder and you're doing all of these things that are creating this element of trust and you're walking up this ladder together. And what I think happens is at some point we don't realize that the spouse has stopped walking up that ladder because of their behavior. They have stopped doing those things, those elements of trust, right? And we don't realize that whether it's because abuse, emotionally, mentally, physically, And we're now in survival mode. We're not in reality. And we've stopped watching their feet. And we don't realize that they have not, they're not next to us on that ladder of trust. So when D-Day happens, it's a shock. We're like, wait, what? You're not right next to me on this ladder? What the heck? We don't realize that they've stopped practicing those elements a long time ago. But what's happened is essentially they have fallen off that ladder. You have not you are still on that ladder. And I'm, what I want to just start off with today is giving you some things to think about and ponder and maybe write about how you are still trustworthy, how you still have trust because you've been walking up that ladder and you've been doing the work, but unfortunately your partner is the one that abused that trust. They have fallen off. So what I see happen a lot of times is clients will essentially figuratively throw themselves off the ladder right along with them. Maybe we think that we've got to be down there with them working 
alongside trying to maybe push them up the ladder or pull them or yank them or whatever. we got to do this together. And what I want to offer you is this idea to stay where you are, keep doing you, keep working those elements of trust, because now you're in a place where you can see their feet. You can watch the steps that they're making back up that ladder. If we're down there with them, we can't see clearly. So stay where you're at, recognize those different elements, all the, the anatomy of trust that Brene talks about. And I think it's a fantastic activity to go through those different elements that she talks about and see maybe where you can, I'll just give you the first one is boundaries. So what I'll have my clients do is start with boundaries for yourself first. So for example, if you know that you need to go to bed, like it's the most wise thing for you to go to bed at 10 at night, do you keep that boundary? Start with building that trust in you again and seeing that, oh yeah, I can trust myself. Oh yeah, I did do this work. I am a trusting person. Start there. I love this analogy of the ladder and what I see sometimes come up with my male clients that I'm working with is they will see their wife and they'll see her on this ladder and they're down here and they're realizing, okay, I got to rebuild trust. Or she's saying, Hey, you got to rebuild this trust. And he tries to go, okay, well you come down here and you do what I'm doing where Mm -hmm. she's saying, Hey, I need more transparency. I need filters. I need to know what's going on in your head. And he goes, okay, well, fine. Like then I need to see your phone and I need to know where you're at at all times. And I need to know this. And it's almost like he's trying to pull her off the ladder. And, and if she hasn't done anything that's ruined that trust or disrupted that trust, you don't have to come down and do those things. Now, if in your home, you want everybody to be on filters and everybody has that full transparency. Awesome. I think that's great. But if it becomes this tit for tat and he's trying to say, well, you need to do what I'm doing. Well, we have two different situations because in one trust was broken and in the other, it wasn't. So I I just find that interesting. And I take that as information on where he's at. Is he at this place where he goes, okay, I see that ladder there and I'm going to start climbing. I, it looks hard. She's really high up, but I'm going to start climbing. Or is he going, no, 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 no. You come here. You come down here to me and then we'll figure it out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think that's really empowering. And I want to start off this topic of trust because we're going to hit a couple different um, elements here, but I really want to start off by empowering you women, uh, and even men who are in this position of being betrayed, but those of you who have done the work of being trustworthy, own it, honor yourself for doing the work. And I'm hoping that you feel a little empowered that you have not lost anything, but unfortunately someone in your life has abused the fact that you are a trustworthy person. I love that you brought up that notice when someone's trying to pull you down. Cause that, I see that happen a lot too. So we want to recommend this book worthy of her trust by Stephen Arterburn and Jason B. Martinkus. And if I botched that, so sorry, I offer this book first 
to the one who has had their trust abused. Because what I really like about this book to offer my clients to read for themselves first is a lot of these things that he talks about, I think will help you to feel more empowered and recognize what you have a right to ask for in terms of having that trust rebuilt. So when you're, you know, standing on that ladder and you're watching the feet, right. And seeing how they're moving up that ladder of trust, this book will give you great ideas of what to watch for. And there's a lot of myths that he debunks in this book that we'll talk about here in a minute. This book is great for you to read first and then you can recommend, you can suggest this book for your spouse to read. I would suggest that when you see that there has been work done towards sobriety, towards recovery, then this would be a great book to uh, recommend your spouse to read. But then can I just put in there, don't nag them, don't nitpick them, don't throw it in their face. Just let's see if they want to pick it up and read it, but start with you first. Absolutely. And I'll just give a quick disclaimer on the book. It's a fantastic book. If you're not religious, it does bring up religious tones throughout the material in there is fantastic, whether you're religious or not. Also a quick thing on it is if you are a man who has betrayed the author does not hold back the punches. He just, he says it like it is. He says it really direct. And so some men when they're in their beginning stages, it's too, too much. It's too hard. It's, it's, he just says it like it is. I, so this book is one of those where he just gives you the straight truth. He doesn't sugarcoat it. And if he's not ready to hear it yet, it, it can be difficult. So I'm not saying anything like hold off. Don't recommend it. You can by all means recommend it. They can read it whenever they want. But it is one that I find gets the most benefit if he has already been doing some recovery work where he's ready to start rebuilding some of that trust. Yeah, for sure. And I think too, we women want to trust. We are just like, we want to jump off that ladder and be like, okay, let's do this together because we're freaking awesome. <laughs> but so what I, why I like the suggestion to read it for yourself first and not try to push this is because one of the things that I see happen too, is we get so hopeful and want so badly to have this work out. And, and sometimes that can re-injure. We have multiple trauma coming when we have this high hope of them reading this book. And that's why women are searching for every possible thing to help because we're like, okay, here, here, just do this. And then we'll be okay. And we get our hope up. And then it doesn't work out like we want it to. And then it's like betrayal all over again. So I'm glad that you expanded on that, how it actually can affect someone early on in their recovery. This is why it can be hurtful when they're not jumping on it and going, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You're right. Okay. Let me implement all these things right now. Might be a little too soon. We got to be patient. So yeah, for sure. So as we look at trust, I think a really good place to start is some of the myths around what it takes to build trust or just around trust in general. Some of these come from worthy of our trust. Some of these are just ones Amy and I have seen 
but I think it's really good if we can get these out there and then kick them out. So the first myth, there are shortcuts to trust or we can do this quickly. If, if there is a shortcut out there, it has not been discovered and you will make millions. But <laughs> the, the truth is often when trust is destroyed, whether it be with your spouse or even like one of your kids who have done that, what we want as humans is we want trust to just be restored. We just want to go, okay, look, I'm doing good. So now give me full trust back. But that's not how it works. Trust has to be rebuilt, which means when trust gets knocked down and it gets demolished, these type of injuries, trust just flies out the window. So now we're in this place where we have to rebuild from the base level. And ideally we're rebuilding something stronger and healthier and better, but it's going to be that brick upon brick upon brick to rebuild that trust. And so there, there aren't any shortcuts. No, not at all. Unfortunately, I see a lot of women just wanting the cure. Just give me the cure. Tell me how to slap a bandaid over this so I can, or the checklist, right? Give me a checklist. Tell me what I need to do to make this go away. And I wish, I wish I could give you a checklist and make it go away, but there isn't one. Healing is just different than cure. Yes. And I think that's what gets confusing is because you do, you listen to podcasts, you go to recovery group meetings, you listen to your therapist and they do give you items of, look, we got to be doing these certain things. And so our brains go, oh, okay. Then if I just do these things, then we're just going to get trust back. It's this idea. And this is actually another one of our myths is not acting out anymore. will rebuild trust, right? So first thing on my check box is I need to have sobriety check. I have sobriety. Okay. Why is she not trusting me? I've been sober for fill in the blank amount of time. Why doesn't she trust me? Because it's not about the checking the boxes. And that is confusing to both partners. Yes. We could do a whole podcast just on that because yes, that's very confusing. That's why this book is going to be good. (laughs) It'll help clarify a lot of this stuff for you. So yes, no shortcuts. The next myth is time heals all wounds and builds trust. So that one is a myth because time does not solve all of these problems. And we do not forget. Time does not erase the memory. And I think that, I mean, that kind of goes along with forgiveness too, right? Like forgiveness does not mean forget either. So trust, learning to trust again and being trustworthy doesn't mean that what you've done or what they did is going to be forgotten. So I think that's something to chew on a little bit. So I had a client the other day talking about a time where he hurt his wife really bad with some things he said and didn't realize they would be so hurtful. And he said, you know, we went to bed and so we just kind of went on and things, things are better. And I went, okay, can we slow that down for just a sec here? At any point, did, did you go back? Did you address it? And then that was part of it. And then the other part of, we really had to break down this idea that time heals all wounds and Time does not heal all wounds. Time can give it a nice crusted over (laughs) scab, (laughs) 
but underneath you can still have the infection there. You can still have the broken bone. That doesn't mean that things are automatically put together in the right place and they're healing. I think that this idea that time heals all wounds is so detrimental to having really healthy, connected relationships. Yeah, I really, I agree. And as you're talking, I'm thinking too, how this is where I think triggers come into play when that pain button gets hit again. And I think sometimes women who have been betrayed when that pain button gets hit again, sometimes they think that they should be better by now. It's been long enough. We've, I've been at this for so long. Why am I getting triggered? And they're using time against themselves in this scenario too. And so again, it's not let go of this time thing. And when you do get triggered, it doesn't mean that you're not doing the work. It doesn't mean you're not healing. It doesn't mean you're not moving forward. So that's also something I see with this time element, but something that I, that is written in this book that I really like, he talks about how important it is to look at time as the context in which you find new opportunities to build trust. And that I really like, and how he talks about how time is filled with sincere attempts to build trust. So when we talk about time, it's what are we doing with that time? Are we just letting it pass by? Are we just watching the watch and and saying, okay, well, it's been a a year, so you should be over it by now because it's been this long. No, 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 no. What have we done in that time? Yeah. I love this concept because use time to your advantage. Mm -hmm. And I just, it makes me think about when Luke finally came out and shared all of what had been going on our entire marriage and really throughout his life. And I remember a few years after he said, I want time to slow down for the first time ever, because I'm like really enjoying this feeling of being in recovery and being sober and Yeah, feelings sometimes sucks, but also like I'm feeling things I haven't felt before. And so he wanted that. He wanted to, for the first time, enjoy time, be part of what's happening. So I love what you're saying, Amy, around this. Okay, we can just sit there and watch the clock and wonder what's happening, or we can actively do something with our time. I love that so much. So the next one that we have is trust is restored when she stops being so controlling. So Mm -hmm. this one, there have been and are quite a few men who as their wife is trying to seek safety will feel very controlled. And by the outside perspective, she may absolutely look controlling and it may feel controlling. And I think what's really, really important to note is During this time, she's had her whole world shattered. She's had everything that she thought she knew taken away from her. Or if it's been this repetitive pattern, she's been in this place of trying to survive this pain for so long that she naturally goes into this protective place of, I need to protect myself. I need to protect my heart. And what can I do around me so I don't get hurt again? And so this control, I don't see it as control when we're in these beginning stages because she's in this place 
And if you're listening to this and you're still in this place, if you're in this place where you are doing everything in your power to never feel the amount of pain that you felt. Oh yeah. It's survival mode. And that control shows up as a survival mechanism. I mean, it's built in. And honestly, I've had a couple of clients who have felt so much shame around this control that they have been told, I resonate with this. This was thrown in my face so much. Like I'm feeling this in my chest right now because um, massive control. And that was used against me. And I was, that was not an okay thing. And I was gaslighted and abused because of my control that, and so anyways, I have clients show up and they're just feeling a lot of guilt and shame around being so controlling. And then to the point where they're like, maybe it's my fault. Maybe if I wasn't so controlling then he wouldn't do this. Maybe if I wasn't so controlling, we'd still be married or whatever the situation is. And we're judging ourselves so harshly. So I'm glad you brought this up. I, I just want you to know, this is there's a reason why this has shown up. Give yourself some grace here. Recognizing it is the first step. Noticing that it's there. It's all you got to do right now. Just notice when you start trying to control things outside your control bubble. And that let's just keep it simple. So let's just start there, but give yourself some grace. And I want to point out, this is not a gender thing. This is not women are controlling because they don't feel safe. I have clients where it was the female who betrayed and the male partner is doing the exact same thing because that is the brain trying to protect itself and trying to get some sense of safety in their life and really some sense of stability because their whole world was thrown so off kilter. So this is again from the worthy of her trust. And very rarely are you going to hear me read on this podcast, but he says this so good. So he says, if you, and this is talking to the men who have betrayed, he said, if you insist that her alleged control issues must be dealt with now, then you can forget about rebuilding trust. Mm. I counsel many men who take this position. They cannot see their own issues because they're in denial and want to focus only on their wife's issues. This is just shifting the blame much. I'm just going to leave it there. This is just shifting the blame. And then he goes on later. He says, as a side note, let me share what I often see in the folks I try to help. Where there's a wife who is overbearing and controlling, there is usually deep insecurity and fear. The husband points out the controlling nature of his wife and insists she needs to deal with it, get counseling for it, take medication for it, or get over it and or get over it. But when I ask these husbands to consider how much of their married life they've spent helping their wife experience a sense of security, they often respond defensively with examples of financial provisions and stability. Okay, I've heard that many times. Mm -hmm. While financial security is important to many wives, money is not a replacement for their hearts. Many wives say they'd rather take fewer vacations and have a smaller house in exchange for feeling emotionally connected, secured, and cared for. So I I just, I love that. I love the way that he speaks to that and he's speaking to men. And yes, like any man who's listening to this, if you've betrayed that emotional safety, that security, that showing up for her in a way that creates that safety is one of the best ways to make the control go away. So if you don't want to feel control, 
you can actually change that by showing up differently with consistency over time. So this does not happen with a week of good behavior. I see that too of like, well, I've been doing everything she asked me all week and she's still <laughs> distant or, okay, it's been two months. What yeah. the heck? And I'll go, okay, this is what I'll actually do with some clients. And I'll do this with men and women alike, but I'll say, okay, so just tell me, when did you get married? Okay. How many years ago was that? Uh-huh. Okay. And were you acting out your whole marriage? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. That's, that's totally fine. Um, okay. So now you say you've been like doing this for six months. That's awesome. Okay. So six times 30, we're going to average 30 days in a month, six times three, 180. Okay. So you've had 180 days of showing up for her like this. Holy cow. That's awesome. Okay. So let me, let me just crunch some numbers. You've been married for 20 years. <laughs> um, let's see, there's 365 days in a year times that by the 20. Oh, okay. So we're looking at, and I'm not doing the math, but we're looking at like 14,000 days to your 180 days. Okay. So, so you can see, like, if we just look at the numbers side by side, where we've had 14,000 to 180, probably going to take a little bit longer. 352 days in a year times that by the 20. Oh, okay. So we're looking at, and I'm not doing the math, but we're looking at like 7,500 days to your 180 days. Okay. So you can see if we just look at the numbers side by side, where we've had 14,000 to 180, probably going to take a little bit longer. And I, I love what you were saying there. And I think this is an important part of this whole thing is when safety is created and when she feels safe, the controlling behavior might not completely go away, but it gives her a safe space to work on it. And that is the beautiful thing. I, that I didn't have that in my previous marriage, but I definitely came into <laughs> my new marriage with the, still the controlling behaviors and attitudes. And just because I remarried and knew it was a great marriage and healthy or whatever, doesn't mean that I like fully trusted. I was still a little skeptical. I kind of, we had a great courtship and engagement, but let's put the marriage to the test a little bit, right? Now let's see, do you really create safety for me? And I'll be honest, there were some times that I purposely acted up a little bit to see, all right, I'm going to do this. How are you going to, how are you going to respond? <laughs> That's probably a little catty, but I really wanted to make sure that I was okay, that I was safe. And the longer that I've been married and the more I have seen safety in my marriage, then I have been able to do the work around my control issues. And it has greatly decreased. And it's awesome. It's great to not feel like I have to do everything. It really is freeing. So I just want to testify, like in my own situation, I've seen both sides and it is really a beautiful thing to recognize when there's safety and then do the work. Just because safety is created doesn't mean that you can just, okay, great. He's doing the work. Now I'm have a right to still be controlling. I've seen that happen a couple of times, but you need to do the work on your part too. For sure. And you know, 
where you said it's probably caddy that I did that. (laughs) And there's a great analogy. Maurice Harker, author of like dragons, they did fight gives this analogy where he said, okay, imagine where the, the husband's built this house for his wife. He spent this time, he built this house and she comes in and she moves in and she has her babies there. And one day the house just falls apart. Half the house collapses. She's able to grab the baby. She's bruised. She's got some broken bones. Everyone's injured. So she moves out of the house and she's like, oh my gosh, that was terrifying. I'm going to go be in this hotel or Airbnb or mom's (laughs) house, whatever. But she's living somewhere else. And so he's going, okay, I got to fix this house. So he starts rebuilding this house and he is getting really proud of it. So he says, come, come back, come see the house. It's ready. And so she comes in the house and he's like walking around. He's put all of this hard work into it. The house is starting to look really good. And she all of a sudden pulls a sledgehammer out from behind her back and she just starts knocking down walls. And he's going, what are you like? What are you doing? I, I've put all this work into it. And she goes, yeah, but last time the house looked really good from the outside, but it wasn't on a secure foundation. Like, how am I supposed to know that this house is secure? How am I supposed to know it can handle the hard? And so she breaks down some walls, looks inside the walls, sees the foundation. And so I love that analogy because it just, that's what's happening is in those moments, you're going around with a sledgehammer and that's your brain going, okay, but it looked safe before. So is it really safe now? For sure. I'm, I love that metaphor. I'm glad you brought that one up. So true. Okay. The next myth is not acting out anymore. will build trust. This is a hot one. How many times, how many times have I heard that? Right. Yeah. This one's hard because this is a little twist on this one, but when your partner stops acting out, I see a lot of women take that as a really good sign and almost jump into the trust too early here. This is, I know this is quite, isn't quite what we were going to go on, uh, go about with this one, but this just came to my mind. Let's talk about that. When they don't act out and you're like, okay, they're not, they haven't done anything. So now I can have sexual intimacy again. And then they do. And then they act out maybe, well, I'll just give an example of a client a week later that happened to her and she just felt horrible about herself because she trusted too, too soon. I think it goes back to the hope factor. And of course we want to have hope. It feels good to have hope. It feels good to, to be excited, to see things going in the right direction. I think what happens so often is as soon as we see um, that shift and now we're headed where we want to go, our brain almost takes it as, okay, well then we're there. And I, oh my word, did I do this of like, okay, well, he's done this and this and this. So therefore he should be able to hold my pain and he should be able to have these deep conversations and he should be able to all of a sudden, the minute I'm triggered, just handle that like a rock star. The checklist thing, right? Like, okay, they're meeting all the checklists or meeting the steps and we're still looking for that cure. Totally. And so naturally 
it feels really good to have hope. I would much rather have hope than be in this deep, dark despair of, I have no hope. And I've been there. That is an ugly, difficult place to be, but it doesn't have to be this massive. I have no hope. I'm hopeless or I have all the hope in the world and I'm going to throw myself hundred percent in. I think it's finding that middle ground of being able to go, okay, where am I at today? What can I handle? Okay. Where is he at? What can he handle? We have to really slow that process down. And I do, I see women jump in so fast the minute that they see anything good and it can be really confusing to their husbands of the whiplash that happens where one day she's saying, stay away from me. The next day she's a hundred percent in. And then the next day after that, she's like, get away from me. And obviously some of that just comes from trauma, but some of that too comes from that hope that they jump so far on board with where he's at, but then they realize he's not actually where they think he is, or they're not where they think they are. And so then they whiplash back and that whiplash for both of you can be really mm-hmm. painful. Yeah. And that's why I think that analogy of the trust ladder I gave is really important to keep in mind because he here is you staying grounded and staying in reality. That's why it is so important for you to do your work. That's why it is so important for you to do your one-on-one so that you can keep in check with yourself, your body, your feelings, your voice, all of that, and stay where you are on that ladder because you deserve to be there. You worked to get up there. He's the one that fell off or she's the one that fell off. And so staying grounded, holding on in reality, in your truth is going to help you watch those steps from that safe distance, which, you know, boundaries, right? So watching and you can get excited and you can cheer down and way to go. I'm so proud of you. You're up three steps. <laughs> I'm taking the analogy too far, but you know what I mean? Like you can encourage them and still have boundaries and still have safety and still be watching. Absolutely. And I think that this kind of leads into the next one really well. There's a really common myth where men think that their wife doesn't want to trust that she's like holding back and she's trying to not trust and she's trying to purposely not get there. And I just want to say this so clear. Every single woman that I have ever met up to this point, I'm sure that there's an exception out there, but I haven't met them yet. Really want to trust almost to the point of like desperately want to trust because it feels good to be able to trust people. And when you lose that trust, that's a really uncomfortable place to be. And so they do want that trust to come and they do want to be able to invest again and to feel that sense of security where they can let their guards down and they can breathe a little easier. Oh yeah, for sure. What's coming to my mind is encouraging those of you who want to have that trusting relationship again. I think it's really important to assess where you're at right now. Make a reality check. Where are you at in your building of trust in the relationship right now? And do you feel safety? And if you don't, then what boundaries need to be placed so that you can feel safety and so that you can start building that trust with yourself maybe right now, but doing a little bit of a reality check. And if you are, For those of you who are doing work, both of you, 
and you're sitting here going, Hmm, I do feel some safety right now. And I think we have been working on it. Then ask yourself, what would be the next step to take towards this trust building? And that's going to be uncomfortable. Notice what your, I say your higher self gives you that, that thought. Maybe this is the next step. And then notice very quickly how your brain's going to go, ah, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> that's too uncomfortable. That's okay. It's okay that it's uncomfortable. Embrace the uncomfortable and take that next step. If you're feeling like you're in that place to go to do so. So I think asking yourself that question and doing a little bit of a trust assessment with yourself and with your partner would be a great thing to practice this week. I remember a woman I had in group years ago and she was very confused because her husband had been doing really good work. Really, he was doing individual work. He was doing groups. He was creating that safety. But due to her own past abuse, there were some really deep-seated issues of trust in her life. But one of those big consequences of not only her past abuse, but his acting behaviors is she did not trust herself. And the reality was, is she wasn't able to see her husband's trustworthy behaviors because she hadn't done the work to learn how to trust herself. Mm. So I know this is where we started and I know we've talked about it in between, but I can't emphasize enough doing your own work around how much you trust yourself has to be that foundation starting point before you can even sense and feel that real trust from other people. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I, that example breaks my heart. I can, I I think I can relate to that a little bit when you've already have deep rooted trust issues before you even get into the relationship and then you're betrayed. That's hard to come back from. Yeah, it really is. But I love reiterating and, and really we can't reiterate it enough. I, I teach the YSA dating course and I have a group of amazing women right now. And we were talking about trust. And that was one of the things that I invited them to do is learn to trust themselves first. And at the end of, of every class, we do a little, what's your nugget that you got out. And every single one of them were like, I never thought to trust myself first. I never thought to work on trusting me first. And I just, I teared up because it was very eye-opening how we really don't teach this and how powerful it is at that early age. And so when you haven't had that, I know I didn't, then this is a great place to start doing the work. Absolutely. Okay. So this actually brings up one topic that I think is important. We're going to introduce just a little bit and then stay tuned because next week we're going to have an entire episode on full disclosures. So one of the things that are really critical and important to rebuilding trust in a relationship is having what's called a full disclosure. And you can do this with your therapist or a trained coach. I don't know how you would rebuild trust in a relationship without this personally. And choose recovery services will provide the opportunity for you and your spouse to have and go through that process of a full disclosure. So I want to put that out there. This is something that a lot of people uh, don't know about. They aren't aware of what this really is. And then I will also put a plug in there that it's not always done correctly. 
So there are a lot of full disclosures that are happening that have not been done and choose recovery services is determined to do this the, the best way that the industry knows how to do that right now. Right. So we're getting it all out there. We're avoiding this trickle disclosure information coming out over an extended period of time. And I love doing it when you have a trained coach or therapist doing the disclosure with you, you have somebody who's right by your side, making sure that we're not sharing too much. We're also not missing pieces and it's emotionally safe for both of you. Being able to build trust has to start with a foundation of open transparency and honesty. And the full disclosure is a way that we can start setting that up. We'll definitely go into that more in depth next week. But if we leave nothing else with you around this topic of the full disclosures is this is a beautiful way to start the trust building process is by doing the hard work of getting the information out there in a healthy way and building the foundation on that sure foundation instead of on rocky sand. Join us next week as we go more in depth into disclosures. And and just a reminder, through the end of the month, you can jump online and still listen to the Choose Recovery Conference. There are some awesome topics in there. Um, A couple, just really quick, is dating after divorce, sexual reintegration after betrayal, Paper Cut Lies, which actually is a great one because that builds off of this topic of rebuilding trust. Just know that's another resource. You can go to www.chooserecoveryservices.com. Thank you as always for being part of the conversation with Amy and I today. And we look forward to seeing you all next week. Rebuilding trust in your relationship is hard work. And maybe today you are spinning a little bit from this conversation, or maybe you're ready to get to work. Either way, we again encourage you to reach out and work with someone one-on-one to help you learn to trust yourself again and learn what needs to be done to trust others and where you can get that help. Check out our amazing team by going to chooserecoveryservices.com and let us help you to choose healing to choose recovery, and to choose you. Take care, everybody.